to the Future Financial Planners podcast brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. Whether you're a student, a graduate, or an early career advisor, join us as we dive into the ins and outs of becoming a financial planner. I'm your host, Azaria Bell, bringing you tips from the experts on career strategy, sanity, and success. Today's episode is focused on the many opportunities for women to get involved in the financial planning industry. I'll be joined by Marita Gibbs, a highly experienced national account executive at investment management company Alan Gray. Marita is a well-respected advocate for women in the financial planning industry, involved in the FPA Women in Financial Planning program as a mentor. We discuss the ways in which Marita has felt supported in the industry, the challenges she has faced, career opportunities, getting involved in women in financial planning, and much more. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Marita. Thank you for joining us on the FBA podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Azaria. Really looking forward to our chat today. We're going to be talking about celebrating women in financial planning and all of the opportunities that are available for women who are looking to enter the industry. So just to start out, I thought maybe you could tell me a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the financial planning industry. <laughs> I fell into it, actually. So I went to university straight after high school, like most people do. I started with a Bachelor of Arts, which is very typical of someone who has no idea what to do with their life. And I ended up in behavioral science and I loved all the psych subjects and I thought I was going to be a social worker. So that was my end goal when I graduated university and it didn't really work out that way. I, yeah, for many reasons, I decided just to take a break after uni and my more husband now, but boyfriend back then, we were just working and we travelled overseas, so very Australian. We went over to Europe. Uh, We did more than a year travelling and I came back and my father was a financial planner. So that is how I knew about the industry. And he said to me, you know, BT's got some jobs going for client services. And so he managed to get me a job with Bernadette Spiteri and five interviews later I didn't even know what a managed fund was so I had to get a physical PDS because Google didn't even exist back then that is how old I am Uh, so I had to get a physical PDS and, and learn what a managed fund was and then torture my father for all the right answers but and then the rest is history you know once I sort of started in the industry I I really loved it and did some more study then obviously through the Securities Institute which became Kaplan now I believe and um, and have just continued working in the industry and couldn't be more grateful it's been everything and more so amazing so you've got an awesome history getting into the financial planning industry it obviously wasn't planned but worked out really well for you so what are you doing now and, and what do you do on a daily basis Uh, So that's pretty easy. I have the pleasure of working for Alan Gray uh, Australia. We're a a fund manager. I've been here for almost 10 years, which is amazing and I've been loved every second of it. And so business development is one of those job titles that I don't think many people heard of. I certainly hadn't heard of it when I started. Um, And I think probably the easiest way to describe it is, you know, the industry is kind of broken up into three areas. So you have the end investor or the client who we're all here to um, serve and, you know, create amazing outcomes for. The person in the middle is, of course, the financial advisor. But then on the other side of that fence, you have all the product providers. And um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this side. I think what we do is significant and purposeful and adds a lot of value to the end client. We 
do create lots of different things and we have investment styles and philosophies which make a difference. So, yeah, that's sort of where I am today. And a business development manager, essentially my job is to speak to financial advisors, stockbrokers. I still speak to some direct investors, um, you know, small super funds who are interested in talking to us about um, Alan Gray and our investment philosophies. So, essentially, probably if you really wanted to boil it down, you could say it's a sales and marketing style of role. But I actually think it's a really big education piece as well because not everybody invests money the same way. So I do firmly believe that if you are educating people to the way that you are investing money, then, you know, that's the part that I really enjoy the most. And and I think it also helps people to remain invested. You know, markets are quite volatile. And if they understand where they're invested and why they've invested in our fund plus somebody else's and they've also invested in bonds and property, you know, it's that education piece, which I think genuinely helps people. So, um, but business development is super fun as well. We, no two days are ever the same. I look after everybody in Queensland and Northern Territory and I think Northern New South Wales. And um, I don't get to go there very often because it's always flooding at the moment. (laughs) I feel like between the pandemic and the floods that our poor Northern New South Wales clients are a bit unloved, Um, but thank God for Zoom. Uh, So, yeah, so we, you know, get to travel around and talk to financial advisors and we also run lots of different events, um, but we're happy to communicate in any way, shape or form as long as everybody understands sort of where they're invested and just keep everybody up to date with our portfolios and our thought processes and how we think about you know what's happening today yeah that's what I always really admired about the BDMs that I've worked to worked with it seems to be such a dynamic role such a people facing role and I know that I use my BDMs a lot um, where I'm working at the moment so I deal with a lot of insurance BDMs because we deal in insurance advice and often I'll get a question from a client that it's it's so niche and I've never experienced that question before because I'm still quite a new advisor so what I've been doing instead of turning to my boss for every question and, and annoying him when he's got other things to do I'll just pick up the phone chat to my BDM they've got years of experience and specialized knowledge in this area and that's where I get a lot of my answers from so they can be such a great resource um, for all financial planners so anyone who's listening who's yet to enter the industry you are going to be best mates with your BDMs (laughs) because they're going to be on your side and they're going to be such a huge help when you're dealing with your clients for sure. Oh that's really nice of you to say. No I do think we're good at um, as you said answering the queries that aren't we're good at gray areas so things that aren't stock standard we can definitely help explain all those sorts of things and insurance BDMs particularly are worth their weight in gold. (laughs) Yeah. They're like that middle person in between the big institution and the advisor. Um, Yeah. And and I always wonder, it it must be hard to balance all of the different responsibilities of being a BDM because often we'll have, if we're having an issue with a client's uh, insurance um, proposal, sometimes it's, we can't get the help we need anywhere else. So we've got to go to the BDM and we've got to dump all of our problems on them. How do you deal with that? It must be a pretty high stress role at times. (laughs) I think that's where my original degree comes in very helpful. (laughs) I'm quite (laughs) happy to help people. I'm quite happy to, I feel like sometimes I have a sign that says, please tell me all your problems written across my forehead. (laughs) Um, But it is also where you feel the best. You know, you're the one that gets to talk to the end client and help them. And you must get a sense of satisfaction out of helping that end investor and, you know, helping them reach their retirement goals or getting that insurance policy payout. Those things make you feel really good and make you feel like you've 
have a job that's full of purpose. And it's the same sort of thing. You know, we love, you know, all those gray areas. And yeah, some days it's stressful and there's a lot. And some days your phone does not stop ringing. And but that's okay. It's also the most flexible job in the world where it doesn't matter whether I'm answering you, you know, that night uh, at midnight, I could be typing you an email with your answer. Um, it's, it's everything. It's one of those jobs where you're in all places at the same time and technology has helped significantly. I mean, the fax machine still existed when I started. So it's, it has changed a lot. Um, and, and I would say most BDMs, thoroughly enjoy that side of things you can't do this job it's sometimes I think it looks really easy from the outside but it's not if it was an easy job everybody would do it but I do think you can't do this job for a long time if you don't you know want to be that person for somebody else so we enjoy feeling as though we're adding value to our clients for sure and you just mentioned flexibility could you talk to me a little bit about how this role or how this industry in general caters towards women in terms of flexibility and the things that we're often looking for in a career? Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, women are actually quite good naturally at communicating with others. I think we're very empathetic. I think as if you're an advisor sitting in front of a client, you, we're good listeners as well. So I think women naturally have lots of those skill sets you know, um, that are quite intuitive to us. But I do think as well, and I, it's not specifically to BDMs, I think it's to financial planners or whether you want to be a para planner or a CSO, whatever it is that you're doing in this industry, you can create SOAs at two o'clock in the morning if you felt like it. You know, you mm -hmm. can, um, I can be answering all of my client emails at ridiculous hours in the morning, you know, while you're baby's not sleeping properly in the background. It has been really flexible. And I've been really fortunate to work for groups where that flexibility is provided. So it's not like you need to be in the office by 8.30. Because the fact of the matter is, I don't go to the office very much. My job is to out, be out seeing people. So my first appointment might be nine o'clock at, you know, uh, at Red Hill. And so from where I live, that's okay. It means I actually get to drop my kids at school that day and it makes me feel like a proper mum <laughs> and not just some mean working corporate mummy. But, you know, it's those little things which, you know, make a, a massive difference to even just your mental health. You know, they make you feel a little bit better about sort of what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of flexibility and there's also lots of give and take. So for someone like me in my job, I also travel a fair bit. So I see people that are in Cairns and uh, we also I'll go to head office, which is in Sydney. We also pre-pandemic and just now it's starting up again. We go to conferences and those things are away from home. And so I think there's always a really nice balance between being able to do the job and, and some days you're working from, you know, 9am to midnight. And then when you come back, you do get a little bit of a breather and you get a chance to say, okay, I just want to go through and do all the follow-up from that particular trip that I went on. And once again, you know, if you work from home, if you work in the office, it, it doesn't really matter anymore. So it's amazing flexibility. And, and I think for a financial advisor as well, if you're a salaried planner that's working for a large institution or you work for a small business or you want to go and start your own business, it's amazing for that. And the flexibility that comes with those sorts of jobs is um, something that will be greatly appreciated when all those girls decide they want to go and have babies and, 
and they want a little bit more time. They want a bit more time at home. And if you can work part-time or if you're running your own business, whichever way that looks, it's incredible. Yeah, that's what I've always loved about the financial planning industry is you can kind of build a custom career that works for you. Yes. And at the moment as a financial planner, the only thing that I really need to be available during the day for is my meetings. So often if I'm yes. having a day where, you know, those days where you just, your brain's just not working, you get to like 3 p.m. and you're like, all right, my brain, my brain's gone to sleep now. I don't know um, what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this hmm. is all the time for me. So this will yes. often happen. And then I'll be like, okay, well, I'm just pushing and nothing I'm not making anything um, productive, so I'm going to go for a walk, take the dog for a walk, hang out for a bit, and then I'll pick up at like another hour or two of work later in the night because I'm more of a nighttime person. So I really like having that flexibility. But I remember I I had roles before where there are those really strict expectations on you get to the office at 8.30. If you're 10 minutes late, you stay back 10 minutes. Mm. And I think that's still a pretty common setup, um, which is which is fine. It, it, that works for some people. But w- what would you say for someone who's maybe looking to enter the financial planning industry and wants to gauge what the workplace culture is like, what mm. flexibility is like, and if it's friendly towards women? What kind of things can you look for either in the application or in the interview to kind of suss that out a little bit more? That's actually a really good question. I think, so whenever I've moved jobs and I've only done it a couple of times, I've always sought sought out people who don't work for that particular institution and, you know, get advice from what they've heard around, you know, their networks. So is this a good place to work? You know, how many women have worked there before? Do they have women in leadership there? Um, Because something I do firmly believe in is that it doesn't really matter sort of what the big headline company policy is. I mean, you could work for the biggest bank in Australia or you could be working for a a smaller, you know, business that only has six employees and everyone can have all the right policies in the world, but it's all about that direct manager who you report to and their values and the culture that they breed within the office there. So I think um, there are probably ways and means. Ask around. If you're brand new, though, that's going to be super hard because you don't know everybody the same way people like me would. Uh, but definitely reach out to people on LinkedIn. I would say you'd be surprised how many of your contacts on LinkedIn have people that have worked at that particular institution at a point in time. But definitely look on the website. Have a look around and see whether they talk about anything about women in leadership or whether there's anything about um, if they're really open and honest and upfront, they might have their policies like their HR policies online, but don't be afraid to ask in the interview either. You know, I remember being sort of 20 and interviewing for my first job and I didn't even ask how much I was going to get paid because I was yeah, just didn't care same. to be honest. But, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things. It was like, oh, you can't ask those sorts of questions. But the reality is as someone who now sits on the other side and interviews people, yes, of course you can ask those questions. And I'd rather that you did and you felt more comfortable and you really knew what you were getting in for than flying a little bit blind. Um, work those networks though. Mm. And have you ha- have you seen much of a, a gender gap in the industry in terms of getting roles, um, things like pay, things like career advancement? Have you seen much of that? Um. I don't actually know the right answer. Yes and no, but I would probably say mostly no, only because when I first started, I would walk into an FPA event and there would be six women in the room and 200 
men. So it's really hard to answer whether it was mainly men that were all senior management at the time. And, you know, lots of people have worked their way through and there's been some amazing women that have blazed trails, you know, before me. And hopefully, you know, I blaze a little bit further just to make it easy for the girls coming in behind me. So you would never know about pay, to be perfectly honest. I don't think so. I don't think promotion is an interesting one because there is the inevitable fact that women do disappear for a year or two because they're out off having children and coming back. So I would say it's more that re-entry and then, you know, watching to see whether those girls are progressing further through. And from what I can see in our world that we have happening here in Queensland, you know, the women are definitely succeeding and being promoted. So, um, so yeah, I think so. But I do think it is hard and I don't know whether it's, it's not financial planning. It's not financial services. I would say if you're a woman that's trying to get into engineering or if you're trying to get into any male-dominated workplace, there have already been women before you that have done it. So keep that in mind. You're not the first and the only. Uh, but certainly it's there will always be things that will pop up and it's just because your employer hasn't thought of it yet. They haven't thought about, you know, whether that's necessary for someone of a different gender, you know, um, to need something along those lines. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in in one of my previous roles in financial planning, it was very much everyone in leadership was male and all of the advisors were male. Um, <laughs> but in that place, I had an amazing mentor. So my boss was such an advocate for women in the industry. And when I came into the, um, into the firm, I got the most amazing support, the most amazing mentorship, mm. even little things like in the meetings with clients, he'd say, no, 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 let me pour the water because I don't want you to be seen as like the, the waitress in the meeting or subservient to me. So things like that were just amazing mm. and really built up my confidence because it, it can be daunting to be the only woman in the room and think, are these people going to be taking me seriously? Especially when you're young as well. And I imagine you probably went through that a bit when you started out too. Yeah, I do think there was definitely times when people didn't want to talk to me, they wanted to talk to my boss and that's just age and experience and and people realising that you have the intelligence and the experience to deal with whatever query that is coming through. But once again, I don't think that's financial services in particular. I think that's every industry. You'll always be up against it. I actually think some boys suffer from that too, you know, that are particularly young, they don't really want to talk to really young men either. They want to talk to the boss. Um, and that could be the age group as well that are seeking financial advice. You know, the vast majority of people that are coming to you for financial advice are probably 45 plus and so they have a natural tendency to want to talk to someone their own age maybe. Yeah. True, yeah. No, mm. definitely. I've definitely found that it's been much easier to deal with clients now that I work in a place where I'm dealing with primarily young women like myself. I think people mm. just like like people that they can relate to. Yes. Um and and if you're in a, if you're in a role where the type of clients aren't like yourself, that's not that's not an issue at all. Like you as long as you can prove that you're knowledgeable, have that confidence and have a great mentor or support to back you up, then then you'll fly by for sure. Have you had official mentors in your role or? No, I actually haven't. And that's what I wanted to ask you about because I know in the financial planning industry, there's Mm -hmm. so much support for women, especially at the FPA. Um, And I understand that you're involved in a mentoring program through the FPA. Is that right? Yes. So I think 
the official title is I'm an ambassador for the FPA Women in Wealth Program. And there's lots of us across the country. If you just jump on the website, there's plenty of us to talk to. And there has been a mentoring program, which the applications have already closed and the program's happening as we speak. Um, But that was funded through the Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet's Women for Office for Women. So that was actually quite a well-structured program and it formally went for six months. So that will be interesting to see the outcomes of all of that as well. So there was 100 mentees matched up with 100 mentors. And uh, I spoke to one of the mentors actually last week and she said it's just been amazing. And her mentee is actually in an entirely different state. So, I mean, technology is just such a beautiful thing that they can just chat on Zoom every week. And she's having an amazing time with it. And funnily enough, the reason that I spoke to her was that she was my formal mentor so women in financial planning was a group and yeah when I was working for BT um, my boss put me forward for that and so I still speak to my mentor 20 years down the track and it's really exciting but no women should definitely look out for these sorts of opportunities and you should definitely jump on the FPA website and there's so many other groups that do these things as well sometimes they're more structured and sometimes they're a bit more you know lackadaisy and you sort of need to find yourself Uh, unofficial mentor Um, but also the FPA does have a scholarships program as well so that is specific to women so if anybody's looking to receive a scholarship of up to five thousand dollars it has to just go towards your study so if you're doing your master's or if you're currently studying at Griffith and doing your um, bachelor in financial planning you know put your application forward there's um, that closes I think on the 15th of August so you've got three weeks to go. Yeah, one of um, the girls we've recently hired have just applied for that. So, And there was oh, a ton of scholarships available, so so much yes. opportunity out there. Mm. And for anyone who likes the sound of the mentoring program and is maybe wanting to get involved in that Sunday as a mentee, what does the process look like to get in? And then how is it structured once you're in the program? What are you kind of doing um, yep. on a regular basis? So it was just an application form that you fill out online. And I think it, for some people it was um, – a little bit cumbersome but they also are trying to match you up with somebody that is relevant to you know what you're trying to achieve um so I do think as well a mentor from our perspective is somebody that is looking out for your entire career you know looking at you know where you might you know you're not enjoying this aspect of your job but you really enjoy this part so what part of the industry could you fall into you know they're not someone who's going to coach you through a specific issue that you're having at work that day although I'm sure as the relationship develops that probably naturally comes anyway so um, that is probably the difference between a coach and a mentor but certainly it's just an application online um, gives as much detail as you can and be super honest you know put your personality into those sorts of things because that's the best way you can be matched up with a mentor and once that happens I think there was a webinar I think a formal webinar that went for a couple of hours and it was run by an external group called the art of mentoring. And so they put all that together. Once that was done, it was then more um, joint webinars and sessions that you would have, but nobody ran that from the FPA. It was up to you and your mentor to be actually going through the program and making sure that you're on track and, and meeting on a regular basis. So that started in Feb and I actually wouldn't be surprised if it finishes probably next month because it was a formal six-month program. And then what happens after that is obviously up to you and your mentor and and how you both feel. But, you know, don't be scared of the application form. Just be honest and, and fill it out as much as possible. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think anyone listening who is interested in the program should definitely give it a go because early in my career, actually, I think before I even started my first role at one of the FPA events, I met a, a woman called Anique um, and she was amazing. She took me under her wing. She really encouraged me. She gave me so much great life and career advice and we're still of course in touch now and just having her in my corner someone who I deem to be who and who is such a powerful force in the industry is so so valuable so (laughs) definitely I think get involved and are you hoping to do the mentoring program again? I think so I yes I thoroughly enjoy these sorts of things and I do think it's a bit of that you want to give back. You know, there were so many wonderful people that advocated for me when I was coming through the ranks, men and women and official mentors and unofficial mentors. And I wouldn't have survived or been where I am today without them. So I feel like you, we do to create an amazing community, we do need to give back. And I'm very happy to do that. And yeah. I mean, honestly, anyone could call me and I'd say yes. So. Oh, bless. <laughs> oh, anyone would be lucky to have you as their mentor. No, so absolutely. <laughs> and then I know that I haven't seen it for a little while, maybe probably because of COVID, but there used to be women and wealth events in all of the different mm. states. What did those events look like? Well, they all had very humble beginnings. So in Brisbane particularly, there was um, three of us, girls that were on the FPA chapter committee and we decided we all read that Sheryl Sandberg book called Lean In and we decided we needed to run an event so we did everything from scratch we put together a panel of women and we went through the book anyway we ended up with probably about 100 women there that day and it was the feedback was amazing everybody loved it and because we were focusing on us and all the male planners that were around sent their staff along, you know, or the younger females in the office. So it was a really well-received event. And then we tried to sort of build on that and continue sort of female-focused events. Um, So that was kind of where we started in Brisbane. And I know other states have done similar types of things, Um, particularly in WA. Fran Hughes, I know, has uh, run quite a few women's events that have been very, very successful. So we definitely identified that women are looking for specific events that cater for them and their needs. And it's just sort of blossomed from there. So the FPA has taken a really good initiative by putting together the Women in Wealth program. And you're right, COVID really sort of blew it up a little bit. And so there's been lots of webinars. And um, actually, I think I was on the website yesterday. You can still see the International Women's Day webinars that they did. So there's two that are still up online if you wanted to have a look. And a lot of them were uh, female planners talking about their experience and what that looked like for them and some amazing advice in there too. So before we wrap up, Marita, what advice would you give to a woman listening who's considering a career in financial planning but isn't sure yet if that's what they want to do? Oh, gosh. I would say, I mean, obviously you're doing this study at the moment. So, oh, gosh, what would you do? Come along to the FPA events. So I think the FPA has a system where you can join as a student member and it's free. So there is no charge to you as a student. Come along to some of the events. Like, don't be shy. We are, I promise we don't buy and we are very keen to see more students along to these sorts of things. Um, Both boys and girls, it it is an amazing industry. I'd also say 
reach out. I mean, there's plenty of financial advisors who advertise their jobs at particular universities. Reach out to them, um, see whether you can do any sort of work experience or whether you can do a part-time role. I know lots of kids have done part-time roles and then that has moved into something else. But doing that work experience while you're doing the degree, you know, you can't really beat that. But I would say just leap forward, like don't think too hard about it. If you get into financial planning and you think, you know what, I, it's not actually everything I thought it was going to be, there are so many other aspects of this industry that you can jump into. So you've come out of university with an amazing degree, which you can then move around and you are well valued in financial services in general. So your degree counts for something. You don't have to persist with that path. And come onto my side of the fence, come onto the dark side and, you know, play around with product providers. And, you know, there's other jobs that people would never heard of. And I don't know how much what gets taught in the degree these days, but even the dealer groups, which advisors are licensed through, a lot of them have practice managers and the head of advice that look after the financial advisors. And, you know, those sorts of jobs are incredible and you get to still work in financial planning. And once again, your degree is insanely valued in that sort of space. And you may have a couple of years under your belt and just go, it's not for me. And you just do something different. Honestly, I think I worried so much when I was in my twenties about exactly what my path was going to be and where I was going to go and it had to be really specific but the older I get the more I realize it just it just doesn't matter like dive into whatever it is that tickles your fancy today and if you have to change degrees because you absolutely hate it then change it it's just it's not a big deal and I also think just fly into the industry we will welcome you with open arms we're very keen to get more students through and um and if you have questions just reach out reach out to the fpa they'll put you in touch with people look up us look us all on find us all on linkedin um linkedin is probably the best tool that you can probably get access to because back in the day that didn't exist either and you just had to know people who knew people and someone's dad was a stockbroker and could get you an interview somewhere like that's how it worked whereas today you can find all of that online so, you know, nobody would never give you their time. Everybody is very open and, and free and honest. And I also think if someone gives you the opportunity or someone invites you somewhere, just say yes. I've said yes to pretty much, you know, to most things that have come my way. And very few of them have turned out to be things that I thought, oh, that was a waste of my time. I shouldn't have done that. You know, it's, yeah, don't be shy. And even if you are a little bit shy, find find someone like me in an event and I promise I'll look after you. <laughs> oh, bless. Oh, that's lovely. Well, thank you so much for this. This has been such an interesting conversation and really encouraging for the women and girls listening who are maybe wanting to move into this industry. Um, so if you are listening, definitely, as she said, reach out on LinkedIn, connect. Um, and from what you've said, you'd be available to have any encouraging chats with anyone who may be unsure. Yes, of course. So. No, it definitely would be my pleasure. So we need more of the students coming through and we specifically need more women. We have a natural gift for this industry. So please continue through your studies and, and reach out. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Marita. And Thanks I'll for talk having to you later. Me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Future Financial Planners podcast. Brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. For great resources and a free student membership, find us at fba.com.au. Good advice makes for great futures.